What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of The Bible Boys. My name is James. And I'm Pip. And it's great to be back. We've, we've kind of been trying our hardest to be consistent with these episodes and, you know, uh, in the midst of college, in the midst of life, you know, life gets busy. Mm. Um, it's, it's hard to do, but really glad any chance to catch up, to press pause and to say, and to think about what we've been learning. Mm. Uh, and get into some Bible. You know that phrase, let's, you know, press pause or push pause. It makes me think of John Dixon's Undeceptions podcast. And towards the last quarter of the podcast, he'll at some point say, let's press pause. Yeah. I've got a five minute Jesus for you, which I don't understand because you don't, you're not meant to press pause. You're meant to keep listening. Yeah. If you press pause, the podcast stops. Yeah. And then he says, um, you can press play now at the end of it. He's like, which, you can press play now. But it's like, we were already playing. We're already playing. And to be honest, no, I love Undeceptions as a podcast. You know, if you, uh, here's something, is a controversial statement. If you had to pick between the Bible Boys and Undeceptions, I would pick Undeceptions. <laughs> okay. But if you've got room in your budget, time budget for another one, Bible Boys, all right? Yeah, yeah. Tack it on. Yes. But, um, yes, yes. And even I've got a five minute Jesus for you is a phrase I don't use <laughs> personally. <laughs> I'm not sure if people are that familiar with it. I've got a five-minute Jesus. Yeah. Um, I get. I know what he's getting at, though. I yes. know what he's getting at. That's um, right. Yeah. In any case, here we are. We're at Moore College. If you hear some some noise in the background, that's because this is a, a real college. We're not making this up. There are actual people around us talking. Mm. Yes. Mm. So here we are recording on this lovely Wednesday. Mm. Oh, yes. So, Pip, how's, how's your week been so far? My week's been good. My week's been good. Um... It has been a week of uh, seeing people and and studying, basically, and um, did some babysitting last mm-hmm. night for my niece and nephew. It was a, a fun time, very tiring time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, big respect for anyone that, that, you know, looks after kids 24-7. Babysits 24-7. Babysits. <laughs> well, it's, so I'm not sure if it's babysitting if you're the parent. Yeah, At that point, it's just parent- parenting. Yeah, it? that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's so... Right. So, um, but that was a lot of fun and that was, that was good. Um, and then today at college, uh, we had some doc, we had a doctrine lecture mm. and we've just had an Old Testament lecture yes. with Deuteronomy. Um, so yes, yes. That's um, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. It's Maybe been good. in a bit we can hear a bit about what you may have been learning at college yeah, as well. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And you, James, your week so far, how's it going? Yeah, it's been great. On Sunday, I uh, got the great joy of um, seeing um, my goddaughter baptized. Oh, great. So Viv and I were uh, visiting a church, uh, and uh, we got to stand up with the parents and say the vows and see her baptized. It was really beautiful, quite wonderful. Um, Yeah, and... I think just a wonderful testimony to God's grace and kindness, not only to us, but to our children as well. Mm. So uh, I, I felt very joy filled mm. on, on Sunday. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah it nice. was, it was wonderful. Have you been part of a, a infant baptism before? Or? Have I been part of an infant baptism before? Were you baptized as an infant? I wasn't. No, I was baptized when I was about 18 mm-hmm. in my parents' uh, pool. Mm. You know, in the uh, um, the home where I grew up, and yeah, so it's not your kind of in the normal kind of in the church kind of baptism. It was more just like in in the pool, do a couple of laps. You know. So, did you get a baptism certificate? 
Yeah, yeah, it was legit. <laughs> that's what you're asking. <laughs> it was legit. Well, that's I asked because I've been baptized in a pool, and I didn't get a baptized. You didn't get. You didn't well, get a... it wasn't a. Oh, in okay. contrast to what you're saying, I don't think it was legit. Right, okay. I know I'm outing myself here on the podcast. Yeah, right. Maybe if I want to be ordained, I'll need to get one of those things. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Yeah. So are you, are you like officially baptized? I don't well, know. in the sight of God, I am. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. But in the sight of anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some people there. Yeah, yeah. Know? There's pictures. Yeah, okay. yeah. There's so. some documentary. I got, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah. No, but yeah, it was, it was a wonderful Sunday. Great to be a part of that. Um, a great joy. Nice. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, and this week I've been thinking a lot about this Sunday. I, I'm preaching a sermon on Romans 13. been working on that. Yeah, thinking a lot about time. Mm-hmm. Thinking a lot about time and, and the, the Christian's relationship to time. What's the connection between Romans 13 and time? Yeah, so in the last uh, four verses of the chapter... Um, Paul says, and do this, understanding the present time. And then he says something about the time. And then in light of that time, he calls on Christians to put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Mm. And so there's something about godly character that's related to understanding the present time. Mm. But it's got me, I've been doing all this reading about time and ethics. And yeah, just thinking a lot about our relationship to thinking about the future, thinking about the present in light of the past. Yeah, so very Christopher Nolan vibes. Mm. If I if I could put a soundtrack to to me, you know, Rip. reflecting this week, yeah. it would be uh, either the, you know, the main theme of Interstellar yeah. along with the time theme from Inception. So yeah, wow. that's what would be going in with the background. The big organs. Yeah, that's it, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> is that your organ noise? I don't know. I don't know what that was, to be honest. That was, uh, that's more like a synthesizer, actually. Yeah, yeah, electric guitar, do synthesizer. You, I mean, I know you play bass guitar. Do you play anything else? I did I did buy a synthesizer a couple of years ago. I can see that. Um, it had a little vocoder on it. Oh, yeah. In fact, my the first time that Soph ever came over to, you know, my, the house, I showed her the synthesizer, thinking that it would it, it was the coolest thing ever. I don't think she thought it was the coolest, <laughs> particularly the vocoder. <laughs> you know, this is back like when you guys were in high school. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. funny. Do you still have it? No, I sold it. My dad bought it off me actually. Really? He wanted. He saw me playing. He's like, "That's so For cool. like seventeen dollars or something." No, or? It, was, it was you know, it was a, it was a decent one. A decent, a decent one. one. A couple okay. hundred. Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, bit of guitar, bit of bass. Yes. Played the trumpet growing up actually. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Do you play musical? Uh, like piano growing up. Yeah. I did some violin during high school, but I don't really remember it. Yeah. The violin. The Bible Boys Band. Bible Boys Band. Do you think people will get around that? <laughs> violin and bass guitar. Look, what we need to do is we need to learn how to play the Bible Boys theme song. Oh, yes. And then the office theme. And then you can also play the Seinfeld theme and we're set. Nice. Yeah, yeah I like that. We should do a comedy segment. What, for more review? <laughs> Oh, oh I've, for I've, I've been taking. So, for those of you who don't know, at Moore College, at the end of each year, they do like a more review. It's like a law review if you if you've ever been to one of those. It's like yeah. a, a comedy night, essentially, or yes. like a, a talent night or whatever, whatever yes. what you want to call it. I've been taking notes in my phone for the last couple of years that I've been at Moore College. Yes, 
trying to get enough material to do a, a stand-up set. Yes, you, you should know? do it. I've got some I've got some good material. Yeah, and the shorter the better, I say. Do do a you know three and a half minute yeah, set. Leave set. people wanting more. Tight set. Get out. Yeah. 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 That's it. Do you want to hear you some material? No, I don't well I do, but you know, save it. I'll save it. I'll yeah. save it. I'll save it. Keep, keep, keep the powder dry in your, in your gun. If I'll you, save yeah. it. There might be a lot of listeners out there who are like, thank you, James. for <laughs> <laughs> saving us for the you know next little while. Hey, what's that noise? Oh, it's the boiling water. Oh, There's a boiler in here. Zip. So listeners, every now and then you might hear this noise. That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Just moving through more color. Oh, no. No, probably not. No. Um, okay. Yes. Now, um... One of the other things we were chatting about just a bit before we were recording is getting scammed. So, yes. Um, or, you know, clicking on links that, that take you to weird places. So I was sharing how two months ago, um, so cause sometimes with particular YouTube videos, I, I want to, you know, take a clip out. So just recently I downloaded a David Attenborough clip on locusts so I could show, you know, what locusts are like. Anyway, there's one website I use. Sometimes it, uh, it goes off the deep end into a weird place. And then when you click on one of the links, it's, uh, uh, you can get hacked. Mm. So my router got hacked. Mm. And it meant I couldn't click any particular links. I had to factory reset the router. Mm. But Pip, have you ever been hacked before or scammed or anything? Well, like I was that? on a website once and I clicked a link, a dodgy link. It took me to a, this phishing site. Yes. It was BCF. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different kind of phishing, my yeah. friend. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to buy a rod right now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> anyway, no, you go, you go. So you're you so you're on a site. Yes. And and you've clicked you've clicked a dodgy link before, haven't you? I have. Yeah. yeah right. So yeah. what what what's happened for you? Well, I mean that's that was one of the stories. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the whole context why this came up was because just as I was walking, listeners, as I was walking towards Pip, I got a text message that said, "Your ANZ banking account has been compromised. Click this link in order to verify your identity." And I don't have an ANZ banking yeah, account, yeah. so you know, I'm going. I'm not going to fall for that. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was younger, I got, I fell for the whole, you know, um, free movies. Click this link, and yeah. then you get yeah. a bunch of. And stuff. you have that kind of like mental moment, like kind of a national treasure moment, where everything just seems to click in your head, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, I've been led astray." Like I had that moment, um, got an email from OzPost being like, oh, we had a package that we couldn't deliver because you ha- um, you got held up at customs and so you need to um, pay, you know, $50 to kind of get it yeah, through yeah. and input your credit card details here through this link. And this is an email. And so I'm like, oh, my package has been held up. I'll go, I'll go click on the link. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I never ordered anything, right? I haven't ordered anything recently. What package? And then I like was like, why would they ask for my credit card details yes. over the email? Yes. And then it all clicked and I realized it's a scam. So mm. Mm, big revelatory moment. <laughs> you know those emails that go, um, uh, I am a Nigerian prince who is your fourth cousin thr- thrice removed, and I want to give you $500,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. if you would just give me your bank account details. Yeah, classic. classic. Which I think is a real shame because maybe there are Niger- you know, maybe there are people out there who need help, mm-hmm. and they're sending emails out, and no one's replying. No, that's it. Is that possible? It's, it's look... Anything's possible. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about some reality. Mm. Pip, what have you been learning at college this past week? 
Yeah, so... Or one thing that you'd like uh, to share. Yeah, so, I mean, this, mor- this morning we had an interesting lecture. I won't go into much detail, but basically we're in, it's a doctrine lecture. Mm-hmm. We're talking about creation, and we're up to the point where we're talking about Adam and the Genesis account. And, yeah, we're talking about whether there was a historical Adam. Um, in other words, yeah, was there a, a person um, really in history um, who, you know... Who, who sinned against God and who is the kind of the ancestor of us all and who, um, from whom sin kind of entered the world and all, all that sort of thing. Um, or is it figurative? And are we supposed to, um, when we think of Adam, not think of an actual person, but think of that as a type figure for people in general and something in the kind of early history of human beings um, and that sin entered the world. And while we, we can't pinpoint that scientifically, historically, um, it's there in, in, in the literature. And so literarily, we can, we can learn something about human beings. Um, and so we're talking about arguments for and against, and we're talking about um, you know, whether Jesus or Paul, when they read Genesis, would have taken it literally or figuratively, what's the evidence um, what are the implications? Like, if we don't um, believe in a historical atom, if we do believe in a historical atom, um, yeah. So it was interesting because on you know, and a lot of things when you get a, a bunch of kind of you know conservative evangelical Christians in a room, you, you expect them to agree on a lot of things, um, and you know, this topic came up and there was a bit of disagreement over it, I think. So, mm. very interesting when that kind of thing happens. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure about my... I mean, my tendency, and I'm not sure if it's a good tendency. Um, I think it's a good tendency, but I'm willing to be... <laughs> I'm willing to kind of, you know, be, uh, you know, taught and informed. Um, my tendency is to say, um, when it comes to science, let's listen to science. And so when it comes to things like um, the origin of the species, let's listen to, you know, the science on, on that. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if it doesn't con- conflict, with, if, if the biblical account can be reconciled, um, which I think easily it can be in this case, where we don't need to believe in a historical atom um, to, to have a, a kind of a firm tight, solid doctrine of sin and mm. humanity at the same time, yeah, yeah, yeah. then, yeah, we should we should kind of go with the science and not be held to a... Or not hold too tightly to a historical atom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having said that, that is not the kind of traditional view. Mm-hmm. And any time that I, you know, think something that I know goes against centuries and centuries of, like, um, you know, orthodox traditional, I'm very cautious... Um, so while I'm happy, I'm happy to voice it. I also want to voice. I don't really know, and I'm happy to be agnostic for a little bit on this. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. No, that's helpful. It's a helpful principle to put in place as well. I think it's worth saying as well, just on that, the whole, you know, listening to science on particular things. There are theological reasons to do that. Recognizing that God doesn't speak with a forked tongue. He's not going to reveal one thing in nature, and. Uh, reveal another thing in scripture that completely contradicts it mm. um so i guess yeah the idea is when you see that there's a clash between your interpretation of the bible and what may be derived from uh from nature from logic from reason there are three possibilities 
Number one is your understanding of nature and science and logic is flawed. Possibility number two, your interpretation of the Bible is flawed. Possibility, possibility number three, both are flawed. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. So yeah. whenever you see a clash, it's actually an opportunity, an invitation to converse about what's going on here. You read Proverbs, you read um, Ecclesiastes, the world is created with order. Mm. There is a rhythm and cycle, uh, a fabric to, to, to creation. Mm. Um, and so that's why science in its modern form um, is deeply rooted in, um, at least drawn from, theological principles about the order of creation. Because there's no reason to think that creation, sh- the world should be ordered. Mm. Um, anyway, there's a little mm. thing there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. helpful. Um, what about you? What, what have you been learning at college? What's yeah, well, share? I'll share a quick thing, um, which is that I really had got a bit of a buzz on Monday during my Old Testament lecture. We were looking at the genealogies of, um, uh, excuse me, this was last Thursday. So last Thursday, uh, our class time, we were looking at the genealogies of Genesis 4, Genesis 5, uh, Genesis 10, Genesis 11. And you know, I've, I've done some work on how you read genealogies, and I think I could tell you individually how you could try to understand some, some features of a genealogy. But why are there these four in the first 11 chapters of Genesis? Mm. I don't think I could tell you that before mm. last Thursday. But it was really awesome the way we're doing class stuff. You guys did something similar last year, team-based learning. Um, I think now I, I can say why well, at least in my understanding, what's going on with those four genealogies, mm. at least to start a conversation about that. Okay, care to share? What's a 30-second, what's your elevator? We're, okay. in, we're in the elevator. Ding! Why are the four genealogies in Genesis 1 Sure. Well, I think that Genesis 4 and 5 are setting two paths or directions of humanity, uh, where humanity could end up going. Um, but then when you get to, this is the 30-second movie, yeah. then Genesis 10 is showing us that God's creation purposes continue that even though the world has been judged creation uh, humanity continues to flourish and multiply and spread throughout the world and then genesis 11 we see that god's promises his focus his attention is going to focus in particular on one particular line from noah nice. um, which brings us to chapter 12 with abram nice. there you go there's <laughs> my germs <laughs> hey that yeah. was good yeah uh, but just to go what is going on here and what did the author intend? And I think just closely reading the Old Testament, it's so rich. There's so much mm. good stuff going on here and it's very exciting. Yeah. And I get very excited by yeah. it. Nice. How good. Yes. How good. And who have you got for? Andrew Sheed. Yeah. Oh, yes. so good. So yes. good. It's great. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Now, We've got a spot for today. Yeah. And yep. uh, you're going to tell us, well, we're continuing this reading guide or guide to reading. And you're going to tell us a bit of a guide to reading which book of the Bible? 1 Corinthians. So, yeah, we're thinking how to read 1 Corinthians. Um, and so I'm going to share stuff that I've been learning at college, essentially, about how to read 1 Corinthians. But this is also a learning exercise for me as well, trying to articulate um, what I've been learning. How to read 1 Corinthians. Now, when you think 1 Corinthians, you know, what, what? what's the first thing that comes to your head? Just the first thing that comes to your head when I say 1 Corinthians. What's the... Collisions and clashes and lots of conflict. Yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. Conflict, division. Um, maybe you're someone who, who you think of, um, yeah, yeah, the kind of 
preacher debate. Some follow Paul, some follow Apollos. That's that's one Corinthians. Maybe you think spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Okay, so maybe you're thinking speaking in tongues. Maybe you're thinking. Um, yes, ca- uh, charismatic kind of gifts, and maybe that's where we get a bit of a theolo- theology of uh, spiritual gifts. Uh, maybe thinking about marriage and singleness um, and the kind of the pros and cons of both, 1 Corinthians 7. Um, maybe you're thinking about some of the controversial passages about uh, women in the church and, um, yeah, some of the kind of controversial things that, that Paul says there. Um, maybe you think of 1 Corinthians 15, the great kind of resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians. If you think all those things, um, well, well done. <laughs> well, uh, if you think all those things... Done. The guide is done. You probably don't even need to listen to this. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Um, if, you know, if you thought those things, then that's excellent. Um, here's, here's, some, here's some quick kind of helpful things. Some good... Uh, like when you read a letter in the New Testament... It's good to think, can I figure out kind of the historical context of why this letter might have been written? Mm. Um, 1 Corinthians, um, some possible context for it is Acts 18, where we get Paul in Corinth. Um, and yeah, we, we get to see kind of that, that Paul stayed there for quite a long time, that he, he preached there, that he was um, reasoning with the Jews there in the, in the synagogue, that he was preaching, but that, that there was quite a lot of opposition to him there. Um, uh, and we also get introduced to the character of Apollos in um, Acts uh, 18 and 19, which then comes back in 1 Corinthians. So, um, you know, one thing that I like to do if I'm, if I'm, you know, preparing Bible studies or a talk on, let's say, 1 Corinthians or, you know, Ephesians or something, maybe I'll just like go to Bible Gateway and I'll just type in Ephesus or, you know, Corinth into Bible Gateway to see you know, where else in the Bible is this place mentioned? And can I kind of draw the connection between Paul and, and this place? Um, okay, so in terms of a bit of an in- introduction to letter, I would say um, this is Paul's first canonical letter to the Corinthians, meaning that in the biblical canon, it's the first one to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Um, the reason why I say the first canonical letter is that it's not actually his first letter to them. So in, what? Yeah, I know, right? Um, so Paul probably wrote quite, you know, a few letters to the Corinthians. Um, there's a theory that he he likely wrote at least four letters to them, um, and that one Corinthians might be his second letter, and two Corinthians might be his fourth letter to them. There's some textual evidence for that. Um, the reason why people think that one Corinthians is at least his second letter to them is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 he does reference um something that they wrote to him previously um and he kind of delves into issues that they're concerned about okay so they do have this kind of letter writing relationship um pre-existing 1 Corinthians um now what is the purpose what is the aim of 1 Corinthians i reckon Paul's aim here is to correct issues of division, immorality, and theological confusion within the church. Okay, so division, immorality, and theological confusion within the church. Um, In terms of its structure, what I'd say is um, there's a few different chunks. The first chunk, um, well, he he has like an introduction, uh, which I'd say is kind of chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. Um, then he spends about four chapters addressing divisions concerning preachers. 
So the uh, um, believers in Corinth are divided over who they should follow as um, preachers. And this is where you get the kind of some follow Paul, some for Apo- uh, follow Apollos, some follow Peter, Cephas, um, some follow Jesus. You know, that's kind of like the, the cool answer. Um, <laughs> uh, and so Paul is um, uh, talking about this division and he's saying um, we need to kind of reverse our view on what is um, true wisdom. So in this section, he talks a lot about um, human wisdom versus godly wisdom. And if you assess preachers through the lens of worldly wisdom, what you're going to look for is an eloquent speaker. You're going to look for words of persuasion. You're going to look for someone who's really great rhetorically and and, um, can uh, kind of string together something that uh, has a lot of human wisdom. Um, But really... What, what apostles of Jesus do is preach um, something that's foolish in the eyes of the world. They preach um, the message of the cross, the message of the cross, which is foolishness to the world. Um, but to those who are being saved, it's the wisdom and power of God. And he makes this point that um, in his context, the people he's preaching to, Jews, what they want is science. They want miracles. That's how they kind of assess who's, who they should listen to, signs and miracles. Um, the Greeks, they want wisdom, philosophy, eloquence. Um, but Paul preaches Christ crucified, which is kind of powerless to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Um, and yet both from the Jews and from the Greeks, people are being saved and believing in Jesus. So that's kind of the first four chapters. Then he moves on to reports of kind of sexual immorality and litigation, so people going to court against one another, that's happening in the church. So he's addressing immorality in the church in Corinth um, from chapter 5 uh, kind of through to chapter 6. Um, then he, he, he's turning to issues that the Corinthians have addressed in a previous letter. Um, in the next section, he talks kind of from chapter 7 to 11, he talks about marriage, singleness, uh, widows, how to, care, how, how to think about widows. Um, food offered to idols, uh, things like that, kind of issues that they've immediately um, uh, they've they've addressed previously. Chapters kind of eleven through to fourteen, um, Paul turns to kind of corporate worship. Mm-hmm. All right, how should corporate worship be done? Um, and then in chapter fifteen, he has a ro- a big reminder about the gospel claim of the resurrection. So he spends a chapter reminding them of the gospel, particularly fleshing out some of the claims about the resurrection and the implications of uh, what if the resurrection isn't true? What does that mean? And what if the resurrection is true? What what can we expect for ourselves in the future resurrection? And in the last chapter, chapter 16, he talks about um, kind of some of the financial needs um, of the church more broadly. And he talks and he gives some kind of final admonitions to the church there so that's a bit of a structure a bit of a flow um so if, if i could just try and summarize that we've got chapter one verses one to nine we've got chapter one verses 10 all the way to the end of chapter four where we're thinking about divisions yeah five to six about sexual morality and litigation yeah seven uh to uh seven to eleven sort of thinking about things that the corinthians were writing about um, food, sacrifice to idols, sex, singleness, 
and then 11 to 14 corporate worship 15 resurrection 16 financial matters yeah yeah that's nice. right that's right um so let's just unpack some of those key ideas okay so um even though chapter 15 is definitely like the main resurrection chapter um resur- like living in light of the resurrection is a big theme throughout 1 Corinthians so um you know talks he talks early on about like the day of the lord and the day, the day of jesus so this is a theme that runs throughout and basically it's like in order to convince like you know as a christian your your view of the world and what is wisdom and and how you ought to live and how you ought to kind of relate to other people can only really be changed um if you believe in the resurrection and if you believe in kind of final judgment um and yeah eternal life i mean i mean like that that is kind of the core of the gospel and so um yeah you kind of the the motivation to live in a way that's uh, that's pure and in a way that's unified um comes about because we believe in the resurrection okay and and because we um even though the church is made up of people from all kind of different walks of life and different kind of um, socio-cultural backgrounds and kind of different hierarchical kind of status and, and, and all that. The thing that unites us is we have one Lord, mm. right, Jesus, and we're all going to p- participate in the resurrection unto eternal life because we have that shared Lord who died for us and who rose again, mm. right? Um, that is the basis for what is another big thing, unity. So you talked about division as the thing that came to your mind. Yes. Um, that's, that's a major theme, perhaps, but potentially the biggest theme is um, division in, in the church. And so he's addressing division over all sorts of things. Um, but he, there's also, so there's, in one conversation, there's, there's bad division and there's good division. Mm. Okay, so bad division is, is kind of quarreling over um, who to follow as a preacher um, based on who's the most eloquent. Bad division is going to uh, going to the court against one another. Um, yeah, bad division is is not looking after people who are vulnerable um, in the church. Um, good division, good division um, is uh, having a church which um, doesn't tolerate flagrant, persistent um, sin mm. in it, immorality. And so you have things like, um, you know, hand hand the kind of persistent sinner over over to Satan, that kind of language, where it's like, you know, let's let's excommunicate this person for a time. Um, that's a that's a good division that we that we should make. Um, you have um, good divisions over. We need to differentiate between the wisdom of the world and the the wisdom of God. That's a good division. Um, uh, yeah, so bad division, good division. Um, one, one phrase that keeps kind of coming up where you can see Paul's emphasis on unity is the phrase um, in the churches. Mm. So Paul's trying to create unity within the Corinthian church. And one of the ways that he does that is by appealing to this like broader unity that's existing across churches all over the place, um, across the kind of Mediterranean, across the ancient Asia Minor. Um, so, for example, chapter 7, verse 17, um, he's, he, says, um, he says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. 
So it's like Paul as an apostle, he's got all these churches that he's kind of laying down kind of rules in about how to operate as a church. And he's saying, this is how it works in all the churches. So this is how it ought to work here. In Get on board. Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, chapter 11, verse 16, you know, he's talking a bit about an issue. And then he says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Mm. Okay. Um, in chapter um, 16, verse 1, where he turns to kind of financial needs, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he's kind of, his commandments are tied to this idea of like, this is this is common practice. This yeah. is like common practice across the churches. And then in his, in his final kind of um, uh, farewell greetings, he says, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah like sits behind the kind of appeal for unity. Mm. Um, another thing to kind of be aware of is holiness. So a big, you know, big kind of purpose statement is like he's addressing issues of immorality in the church. What's kind of the, um, if, if you read the kind of sections on morality, one of the kind of reasons why it gives why we should be pure in our conduct is because of something to do with the Holy Spirit. And so um, a common phrase is like um, like the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting. So in, in 1 Corinthians 3, um, he kind of makes a point that as a church, the Corinthians are like the place of the Holy Spirit. They're the, they are corporately the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Paul says, um, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Mm. So that just, just, you know, that phrase, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That's 1 Corinthians 3. Go forward to 1 Corinthians 6. Paul uses the same phrase to talk about individuals um, amidst the discussion about sexual morality. Mm. So 1 Corinthians 6 from verse 18, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So the logic there, honor God with your bodies. Why? Because... You were bought at a price, and your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, wow, yeah. that's profound. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so that, there's there's some ideas about how to kind of read one Corinthians. I, I think some key questions to ask as you read one Corinthians. Mm-hmm. I've got three key questions um, that you, that you might want to ask as you read. So, uh, first question is: What does this letter tell us about the nature and substance of Paul's ministry? Mm. So Paul's like you know. If we want to understand what Christianity was all about for the first believers, um, looking at Paul's ministry is a really good place to start. You know, it's it's a great it's a great kind of insight into what was the nature of Christianity in the first century. And what does this letter tell us about Paul's weakness? Well, uh, Paul's ministry. Well, um, Paul wasn't he didn't didn't claim to be particularly eloquent. He described himself as as um, in terms of weakness but someone who had an intense gospel focus. 
the focus on the gospel. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's a real snapshot into what he cares about, what he's like, how he sees himself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm. Um, another question you might ask is, what does this letter tell us about the nature and substance of a Christian's life in the first century? Mm. Right? Um, so one of the big kind of arguments against Christianity today is, well, there's so much division globally amongst Christians. They can't like agree on what they believe or how, how they ought to act. And there's so much disunity in the church. Um, you know, can't we just go back to how it was and just preach peace and love and be, and be unified? Well, actually, this, this letter gives us kind of a, um, a snapshot of the reality of the earliest kind of churches where even even at the earliest times, churches are struggling for unity and holiness. Okay, there's there's a struggle for unity and holiness. So um, it's part of the like fallen sinful nature that even once we uh, believe the gospel, there is still going to be this residual struggle mm. against sin and for unity in the church. And so, like. In one sense, we shouldn't be surprised when we see disunity across the church. In another sense, we shouldn't be happy about it. Mm. Paul was not happy about the disunity in Corinth. And so it's something that we, we shouldn't be happy about it, but we shouldn't say it exists, therefore Jesus can't be Lord and Christianity can't be true. Yeah, we, so we, we need to hold these things in, in balance, right? Um, so those are, those are two questions. Uh, nature and substance of Paul's ministry, nature and substance of Christian life in the first century. Um, another question that I think is really key to ask is what does this letter tell us about the gospel? Mm. Okay, if you're trying to piece together what is the kind of main message of Christianity from its earliest days and, and how it's lived out in the church, what does this letter tell us about the gospel? Um, that's a really important question. Mm. Two thoughts that I have are, it's essential. That's clear in Paul's thought. Like the gospel is essential in the Christian's life. It's not an optional extra. It's, it's at the center. It's, it's essential to living the Christian life, to following Jesus, to being a Christian. Um, and also it's transformative. Um, so as Paul reminds them, like as Paul gives all these commands and admonitions, he's weaving in the gospel. And, and Paul seems to believe that by believing the gospel and knowing the gospel is actually going to help lead to this transformed life in the church. Mm. Mm. So the gospel is key to transformation in the church and in people's lives. Yeah, it's not like you do the gospel, get the gospel, and then now we move on to growing as a Christian. Yeah. Actually, the gospel is integral uh, in all of that as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, So look, there's some thoughts. I do have an idea in terms of like advanced and advanced readers tip. But maybe, uh, I might just say that now. Do, do you have any kind of thoughts or questions that you want to raise on the kind of 1 Corinthians? Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've chosen not to go into any of the kind of controversies around spiritual gifts or, or you know, women in church or marriage and singleness. Um, I'm not going to go into those things. Um, but I think this is just some thoughts of how to approach 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just firstly on that, you know, it's it's good to hear that these things that might have been a bit controversial now, 
uh, it's not the first time. They've been a bit controversial. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the reasons why Paul is bringing them up is because they were things that needed to be talked about, clarified, worked through, lived out in community. And so I guess one tip I'd say is as you read the Bible in general, but also 1 Corinthians, try to understand what their issue is. Because their issue isn't necessarily the same thing as our issue. Um, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, um, the issue isn't necessarily what is prophecy in tongues. It's how do you use it. So when you come to it, if your whole thing is, look, I need to work out what this is, it's not a bad question. It's not the main topic, though. Mm, mm. Um, thinking about 1 Corinthians 11, this question of head coverings, um, the issue that we might have with it isn't the same issue that they had with it. Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a little bit of a tip. It's try to work out what's going on here. Try to reconstruct um, what was happening for them as you read this. Because if you don't, then you can just import a lot of your own mm. issues or mm. questions or, or um, hang-ups mm. and, and not be able to hear what this, these passages are saying yeah. in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you want to say something well, about I that? Well, I guess like, you know, maybe one kind of principle, maybe this is like, I don't know if this is just a general principle or like an advanced reading principle, um, but... You know how you have the synoptic gospels? Yeah, Matthew, then, Mark, Luke. And then you have the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's synoptic means read together, mm. right? Read together. These are, these are things that kind of form, that should be read together um, because of their kind of overlapping complementary content to build a big picture. I would say like all, all epistles, all letters are synoptic. Hmm. Okay, so all letters you need to kind of read. <laughs> in a sense, you've got to read them all and weigh them all up against each other to see where issues are local hmm. and where they're global. Yeah. In other in other words, like, um, it, is this issue an issue for the Corinthians or is it an issue for Paul that he kind of consistently addresses in all his letters. Mm. Um, take the issue of head coverings, for example, which comes up in 1 Corinthians. Does Paul address that consistently through his letters? No, he doesn't. Um, does he address holiness? Yes. Does he address um, kind of eschatology or the last things when Jesus returned, you know, the expectation of judgment? Mm. Yes, he does. Does he address... Um, you know, hope and unity. Does he address unity? Yes. Yes, he does consistently. Mm. Mm. And so, yeah, we've got to kind of see the epistles as synoptic and we've got to read them together to kind of weigh up how we're going to approach each issue. Yeah. 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 Nice. No, that, that's helpful. I guess my second thing I just want to add, and you've already alluded to this in different ways, but don't just see this book um, as, a, as a textbook on theology. Mm. See it and understand that it's a letter written to real people to address real problems. Mm. Um, I think I've shared this before on the podcast, but a few years ago, you know, one of my pastors asked me, what do you think the book of Hebrews is about? And I said, oh, it's about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And he said, no. And I went, what? He says, that's true, but that's not the purpose of the book. I went, uh, Jesus is better than the Old Covenant? No. It's true, but that's not the purpose of the book. And I kept going and yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. And he said to me finally, just went, 
the, your problem is you're reading it like it's a textbook on theology. Mm, mm. Why would this book of Hebrews be useful for someone yeah. in the first century? Yeah. And I said, oh, because they might let go of Jesus. You know, bingo, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's the, the book of Hebrews. The purpose of the book is to say, stick with Jesus, you know, and persevere um, with Jesus. Mm. And all that, all the theological uh, underpinning is to serve that pastoral purpose. Yeah. So I think that's really important when coming to any epistle, but 1 Corinthians. You can come and go, all right, let's try to work out spiritual gifts, but miss the, you know, miss the forest for the trees here. The, 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 one of the reasons why he's, what he's talking about in 12 to 14, yeah. chapters 12 to 14, is the primacy of building one another up mm, yeah. <laughs> as a member of the body. Yeah. So yeah. as you read 1 Corinthians, as you read any of the epistles, Yes, read all the stuff and see what it's saying about God and what it says about us and about who God is and what he's done in Christ. But try to see where Paul takes it. Why mm. is he bringing this up? Why does this matter? Where does the rubber hit the road? Because it's an intensely practical book as yeah. well. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess pl- applying that principle to 1 Corinthians, like you could say... Paul is talking about, Paul is explaining X, Y, and Z. Um, but really, what he's trying to do is achieve unity in the Corinthian church regarding X, Y, Z. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. Um, yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, like, yeah, unity is kind of un- underpinning the whole, um, yeah, underlying the whole goal of what he's saying. Um, yeah, yeah. In terms of. Um, like it kind of goes into like another advanced reading tip. Um, yeah, go for it. And this is a bit. This might take a bit longer to explain, but I hope you might you might appreciate this because this is. Um, I'm trying to bring in some of the language of philosophy to to kind of create a framework for kind of um, kind of creating a bit of a bit of a systematic theology. From from one book, or mm-hmm. like, what does this book say about X X Y Z? Sure, which yeah. kind of goes against the grain of what we were <laughs> saying, but it can be helpful to kind of see some key things. So, so some of the language that that we've kind of that we've learned it through um, philosophy, um, in order to kind of assess a worldview, and you can do this with anything. You can do this with like any any religion or any um, you know. You can do this with atheism, ag- agnostic agnosticism. Um, um, in terms of like categories of um yeah of world of categories within a worldview so um i'll just list the categories and explain them in relation to one corinthians so the categories are ontology Mm -hmm. or like the study of being what is what's real Mm -hmm. epistemology the study of belief um anthropology study of like humanity what is human eschatology the study of the, the last things um, morality, uh, right and wrong, and polity, kind of um, organization, cooperation mm-hmm. w- within a group. And so, uh, like, applying that. Sorry, just to be clear, this is for our more advanced. Yeah, readers. this is yeah. this is this is more you know advanced. Yeah. So, if you're thinking like, um, you know, what what's you know, if if you were to list these things down and then to read through one Corinthians. You could make like little symbols or little notes next to verses to say this this informs our view 
of what Paul thinks about anthropology. Mm. What is a, what is a human being? Like, what is it to be human? Or his view of eschatology. So, I mean, the way I would like little little summary, but there's so much more you could go into this. But little summary: Paul's ontology, his Paul's belief about what is real. Okay, what is um, God is real. Okay, that should be no surprise. Uh, Jesus is risen. That's a key kind of like a reality that informs Paul's view of everything else. Okay, God is real. Jesus is risen. Epistemology, Paul's understanding of like why we believe and how we believe. Paul is um, big on having faith through the testimony of others preaching. Okay, so in Paul's like epistemology, preaching is plays a central role in people's understanding and uh, believing, and so preaching is really important to Paul. In terms of his anthropology, um, he sees the Corinthians as as people who are uh, sinners saved um, with the capacity to have the Holy Spirit, right? Who are temples of the Holy Spirit? So there is this like actual kind of in our being. There's this connection to God through the Holy Spirit. Okay. In terms of his eschatology, Paul believes that the world will end in final judgment and Jesus return. Okay, we get that in, uh, end of one Corinthians fifteen. Um, his eschatology. He he. It's kind of a lot of picture language, but it's also uh, it is a solid thing, and he kind of talks a he. When you read kind of 1 Corinthians 15, it's as if Paul's like, he's like, this is the gospel, this is the resurrection. Some people say that Jesus didn't rise. If, if, if he didn't rise, then Christianity is pointless, okay. But he has risen, and some people are saying, okay, well then, what is the resurrection actually like? And then it's like, Paul's like, takes a sigh, this is what it's like. Let me explain to you what the resurrection is like. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. launches into this amazing vision of the end times and the final trumpet call and the glorious uh, defeat of sin and death, um, you know, and the, and the kind of culmination of all things under Jesus. And then he says, therefore, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, all that feeds into the last two things, morality and polity. So why do we care about holiness? Why does Paul talk so much about sexual morality and, and purity in the Corinthian church? Well, it's because of all these other things. Yeah, like in light of all these other things, we have a moral obligation to obey God. Mm. Um, uh, morality is about obeying God because of the appointed Messiah, Jesus, is risen from death. He is the king. We need to obey Jesus. Um, that feeds into kind of polity. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I guess how we how we behave as people or collectives. Um, and Paul saying, be united mm. as a church in your obedience to God because of all these other rea- realities. Um, uh, be united. Okay, so quick. That's a quick framework. Yeah, nice. there's seven. There's seven things there. Helpful. Uh, so no, sorry, six things there um, that might be helpful as a framework. Anyway, that's um, how to read one Corinthians. Nice. Hey, thank you for that. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate it. Let me share something that I've been reading in the Bible. So I said that I was, um, uh, I'm going to be preaching on Romans 13 uh, later this week. Um, but let me just uh, point out one thing that I've been newly reminded of, newly refreshed by, uh, in Romans chapter 4. So Romans chapter 4, um, 
I would say Romans chapter 4. So, you know, we've got a few chapter 3 verse 16s in the New Testament, mm. you know. So John 3.16 is, is pretty significant. Uh, you know, Colossians 3.16 is, is, is great. Romans 4.16 could be thought of as sort of the theme verse of or the big idea of, of Romans. I know a lot of people go to chapter 1 verses 16 to 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God, the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek, so on and so forth. I think that's sort of like a thesis statement that, that gets you headlines, the gospel. But really, in terms of the message of Romans, there's a sense in which you could say 4.16 is the message mm-hmm. of Romans. Do you want to read 16. chapter 4 verse 16? Romans 4.16 says... That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Mm. So you've got so many... This is such a a, a fat verse, rich, full of significance Mm. and meaning, right? The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace. Romans is, is, you know, and going through it again, coming now to chapter 13, it is saturated with Paul's earnest desire that we would see the grace of God uh, in bringing about the, the fulfillment of his promises that we latch on to by faith. But it's also given to all of Abraham's offspring, to those of the law and to those who have the faith of Abraham, so Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, it's just such a majestic, sweeping, grand picture of, of what uh, the Bible uh, and what Romans is, is giving us. And I think I've just been newly refreshed by that to, to go, um, you know, I, I think in my earlier years as a Christian, Romans was the, the, the proof text book for all of the different bits of theology mm. and okay cool we're going to talk about uh you know what jesus's death means okay cool let's go to romans 3 let's go now uh we got to talk about um you know uh headship and humanity let's go to romans 5 you know we've got to talk about uh predestination let's go to romans 9 mm. but to see that the the message of the book it's, it's about grace god's promises faith jews and gentiles mm. it's 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 a profound verse so that's what I just wanted to share with our listeners. Yeah, nice. yeah. Do you have any thoughts about that there? Oh, there's, there's so, like, yeah, there's so much there. There's so much there. Interesting, like, think, thinking about, you know, sometimes uh, talk about, you know, reading the letters synoptically. Mm. When you look at this and how this is put compared to 1, one Corinthians, it is interesting. It's like, um, you know, two different audiences, two different letters, mm. two different kind of presentations of, of the gospel message. Um and yeah, this is like steeped in kind of Old Testament. What is faith? How does salvation come about? Who are Abraham's true children? Those issues that don't really get picked up heaps in one Corinthians. Yes, um, that is interesting. You know, yeah. But but yeah, this is a, a beautiful kind of explanation of the gospel, which resonates, I guess, particularly with with Jews yes. and Gentiles trying to live together. Who yes. Like who who's the real deal? That's it. You know. Yeah. Now. Let's play a lightning round of guess which. So I've got a book okay. of the Bible in mind. Sure. I need to get to class. Okay. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right. Okay. It's been great. Lightning. Nothing stops the Bible boys. Well, actually, I need to stop to get yeah, to class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lightning round. I've got a book of the Bible in mind. You have seven questions yep. to get to it. Let's go. Is it in the New Testament? No. Um, is it a, uh, is it after two kings? Yes. Um, is it 
after um, Isaiah? No. Uh, so is it wisdom literature? Is is you know in Ooh. kind of like the um. Uh, Sorry, just all of a sudden I can't remember whether this is classified as a wisdom literature, which probably means no, because okay, wait, wisdom literature is you got um Psalms. Oh, sorry, you got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs, um, Ecclesiastes. No, it's not one of those. So okay, so four questions. You have three to go. Um, is it traditionally ascribed to Jeremiah? No. Okay. <laughs> um. One more question and a guess. <laughs> One more question and a guess. Okay, okay, okay. Is it a um, a minor prophet? No. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. Go for it. I'm gonna just leap. Yeah, go I'm for just it. Gonna go for it. Um, is it Ezekiel? No. Sorry. Bum, bum. That's okay. It was Esther. Oh. <laughs> hey, Ezekiel is a major prophet. Am I right? I'm Ezekiel not crazy. is a major prophet. I'm not crazy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ezekiel is a major prophet. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Esther. Esther. Um, you know, Mordecai and all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Esther is a great kind of, you know, superhero kind of book. Have you a movie? Yes, I agree. Have you heard a sermon series on Esther before? I don't think I have. So at church last term was the first time I remember hearing a sermon series through Esther. It was great to go through and it was a joy. So that's why I was thinking about it just then. We may have talked about this on the podcast. I don't remember. In any case, there you go. There you go. Look at Esther. How good. How good is that? My sister's name is Esther. Named after the book of Esther. Really? Yes. My parents wanted to name her Julie initially right. and then we had so this family friend who went nah Julie's such a common name go with Esther she's a beautiful queen who saves her helps save her people <laughs> it reminds me of George Costanza no 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 seven <laughs> seven <laughs> love it alright that's it for another week on the Bible Boys we will catch you next week see ya